Welcome to another episode of El Cafecito. My name is Leonardo Casenza. I'm your host for this second season. And uh, there's a rapist in your path. Hey guys, it's Ana. Hashtag Nuna Menos. Hello, I'm Janae and I'm from Mexico. Uh, hola, hello, Cuba. My name is Raquel and I support the collective Nuna Menos. Okay, so we have this beautiful team of, of commentators here to talk, to, to talk about a really, really important issue in Latin America that's quite a hot debate in the past few weeks and actually in the past few months and maybe even decades, right? Mm. Um, we're here to talk about feminicidio. My first question is very basic. What is feminicidio? Well, the, it's basically the killing of women based on gender alone. Okay, and not only that, but um, usually these, uh, these, these criminal cases are quite violent. So you have not only the homicide of, of women because they're women, but it usually is accompanied by, by a lot of, of violence. Uh, this is a structural issue in Latin America. It's been happening for decades now. Um, we have this um, kind of surge of this reappearance of, of the talk of feminicidio in the early 90s in Mexico. Um, with a lot of, of, of feminicidios um, happening around the central region of Mexico. We had a lot of movies talking a lot about that. And then um, in the past maybe 10 years, there was a little bit of a drop of the discussions and uh, around feminicidio. But in the past few months, we've had a resurgence of this, uh, of this phenomena. And not only that, the discussions around it. So just, to, just a few... Um, interesting stats um, in the beginning of this podcast that's interesting to point out because Latin America seems to be one of the regions that is most affected by feminicidios. The official statistics by the UN is that the 15 countries in Latin America and the Caribbean, there's been at least um, 3,500 more or less um, women being victims to feminicide in 2018 alone. Of course, these stats are quite um, are quite complicated to, to, to pinpoint. For example, I found stats where just in Brazil in 2017, there was almost 5,000 deaths. And uh, another article says that it's an invisible war that apparently kills 12 women a day in Latin America. Uh, this is a hot topic in the past few weeks because in Mexico, there was a feminicidio in the 22nd, I believe, we we're talking um, before the podcast that was it two girls that were assassinated Dene, can you explain a little bit more more what's ex exactly happening in Mexico right now? Yes, yeah, so on the week of uh, Valentine's Day on the Monday a woman was killed by her husband. Her name was Ingrid and um, The problem with that was that well, it was a murder that we see unfortunately every day, but there were uh, leaks of pictures of her body that was completely mutilated and that were shared on social media and also by some um, newspapers and that kind of was like what made everything explode so women were mad about how um, this was taken lightly and people were actually making fun of her death on social media and so on Valentine's Day there was a big protest um, in Mexico City and then later on the 22nd it was a another girl seven-year-old girl named Fatima who was also killed and her body was found in a plastic bag in the outsides of Mexico City. A lot of these repercussions have been major not only in Mexico not only in Mexico but in Latin America. Um, we know that in the upcoming uh, 9th of March 2020 
Um, there's going to be this Dia de las Mujeres. It's, they call it now hashtag Un Dia Sin Mujeres. So, so the idea is that no Mexican woman leaves their houses or goes outside mm. in the streets. And that's to show the importance of women in society and to show how, and to reveal even more the, the, the feminicides that are happening in Mexico. As, as the stats show, it's pretty clear that it's, um, it's, it's an issue that spreads not only in Mexico, but all over Latin America. And there must be a connection here. There must be um, things that connect all the countries and, and issues that connect most countries that lead to these um, terrible um, assassinations and homicides um, and the quite graphic images that we saw in the past few weeks. I, I just wanted to know what are these, what are these issues? What are, what's, what's coming out here? Um, and what do you feel um, with regards to that? Big questions. Big questions. Yeah. Big questions. <laughs> Huge questions. Huge yeah. questions. I think that the first issue that, or like the, the one of the main causes of um, this type of events is Latin America has to deal with machismo and all the effects and how machismo has influenced our, um, not only the gender roles, but also how the government works, uh, the social services that uh, women can uh, have access to. So I think that in order to reduce the the number of deaths because uh, uh, by this type of violence, I think that we need to solve or like try to um, deal with the effects of machismo first. And what exactly is machismo, just for the, the people that in the audience that don't know exactly what it is, what it translates to in English? I don't think there's a direct translation. And I think it's a pretty difficult word to address and try to explain it in a way that um, embodies everything but I'll say that machismo is this um, idea or uh, that men are more powerful than women and because of this fact uh, we there there's all this issue with gender roles um, there's this idea that we are only there to satisfy their sexual um, needs um, there's this idea that we don't have uh, as women we don't have the right to um, choose whatever we want to empower other women to be or like make the decisions that we want to make regarding our what we want to do what we want to study what we uh, want to the type of clothes we want to dress the type of things we want to say and also the the, the idea that we have the right to choose about our sex, sexuality yeah. So in, in my understanding, there seems to be a, a difference between machismo, specifically Latin America, and sexism, as we call it in, in, in Western countries. What exactly is this, is this difference that even I have an issue understanding? At least for me, it seems, at least it seems to me, coming from, from Brazil, that machismo includes this, um, this type of toxic masculinity. Yeah. And it seems to be a little bit more, it's an issue that's, of course, it's sexism is centered in, in men in mm -hmm. general. But it seems to be even more centered in the in the character of the ma the man, the macho man in in, yeah. in, in Latin yeah, America. Well, I think this whole issue of machismo versus misogyny and sexism is it really dates back to like colonization and colonialism. And if we remember, like women, like these colonial ideas of gender were brought to Latin America, and women were held to a lesser standard and to be a man was to be a white European man. Like that was the gold standard. Anything lesser was not human, did not have agency. Um, and so this was so ingrained. And then 
men not only like they felt the pressure to perform that masculinity to perform that role but then women are also internalizing this um and this like idea of servitude and that whole those whole gender roles um and so when we look at machismo i think it's the difference is it's it's structural it's within our institutions but it's also within our relationships um within like how mothers raise their sons how fathers raise their daughters in latin america are very different than you know Misogyny exists in North America. It does. Like, I'm not going to say it doesn't, but I think it's structured in a much different way. Um, and that's the difference. Like, this has existed. These gender roles were imposed on the peoples and they internalized it to strive to be that gold standard. And it's and it's there now. And what would be this gold standard, actually? So, like, in, in, in not in, of course, if you really yeah. uh, detail here, it's, 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 the, it's usually the, the, the white masculine man. But yeah. what exactly, what are the details in this, in this masculinity? Well, what, what I've noticed, this is not like an academic oh. like study, but what I've noticed, a machista man is, is he, he feels entitled to, mm-hmm. to women's bodies, mm-hmm. to women's work, to women's labor, to their emotional labor. It's like, um, and it, it, it can take, it's the little things, it's the big things. Whereas like, for example, men expect women to clean up their plate when they're done eating or to serve them the food or uh, you know like to pay attention to them or like if I like you why aren't you showing me attention like you des- like I deserve your attention um, wait am I was that the, what was the question again <laughs> I'm no, going on a rant <laughs> no no, no, no that's, that's what it is it's like the very the the the, the actual specifics of, of, of what the gold standard yeah. in terms of a macho man is and yeah. what and so like, but of course it's really hard to generalize yeah but. and so like i feel like a macho man like you know he's tough he doesn't show emotions like macho. he's he's that guy <laughs> who can conquer the world right like and again like conquistador whatever mm-hmm. um and for guys too like they're not supposed to be emotional beings they're supposed to be these strong men who provide for the family provide for whoever they're taking care of and yeah. yeah, I don't know. And what do you think? Actually, what ties back to uh, toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and how a lot of Latino, like uh, the, the youth, that we're they're growing up with this notion that they're not allowed to express their feelings, to cry because they are not like mature enough to mm-hmm. um, even like carry their like uh, father's last name. It's like this mm-hmm. idea that you have to, you are like the el hombre de la familia and like mm-hmm. all these expectations that you are supposed to meet and also this idea that um, as a macho like it's okay for you to have several partners well for us women like we're supposed to still be virginous until uh, we get married and um, there's this uh, whole idea that we should only like will we, we should only like be with one with one partner well it's like way better for men to even like to say that oh yeah I'm, I have several partners I have like several women so toxic masculinity is also an issue that we need to address and as mm-hmm. you were saying before Anna um, they the fact that mothers like uh, they I think that unconsciously they are also perpetuating this system of oppression um, that's kind of like what makes makes it more difficult for us to deal with machismo deal with uh, gender roles deal with um, all these stereotypes about what people think about um, what a feminist looks like and then it's like all oh, these really extremist like girls that are tra- are crazy or are not good for the society. Well, we are just trying to enjoy the rights that men have been enjoying for many many years, and th- that they feel entitled to. Well, we have to fight to to have them. 
It's it's interesting to, to talk about the feminists, right? It seems to me, at least in my extremely generalized view and comparison of Latin America and the West, that in Latin America and specifically in Brazil, it feels like there's a lot more hate and stereotypes towards feminists. Yeah. Right? Mm, yeah. It's it's this idea that like, oh they're feminazis, yeah. girls that will like it's like, oh it's this it's seen as abhorrent that women and I mean it's usually attributed to feminists that they won't shave for example mm-hmm. um and it seems to be a little bit more ingrained in, in, in latin american culture than than in, in other in other cultures right i think that in part is because i feel like in latin america women are really tired they're tired of everything and as we have seen in mexico they're starting to uh, go out on riots um break and burn cars uh, right on the walls of the palace and so they got a lot of um, backlash because of that but i think what men don't understand is that they will never step out outside in the street and fear for their life just because they are men and that's why they think that we are just crazy but it's because they don't live with this constant fear of being in the street and maybe being killed or maybe being raped or like maybe seeing a friend go out and never see her again and yeah that's what men really have to understand the fear that women live with in latin america yeah and about that i read this um article that i think i think someone in the government said that uh, women should be more like less aggressive with all these riots that are happening in Mexico for in, like the past few weeks and that if we want to go out to the streets like we should do it in like a peaceful way and I'm like are you kidding it's like they're still trying even when we have the right to protest they are still trying to keep us in like, this bubble where like we are supposed to behave in a, like a lady way that it just for these reasons is that we cannot reduce all these cases of violence against women and I'm pretty sure that you all um, saw the videos of um, Las Tesis, the, the performance yeah. of uh, Una, Un Violador en Tu Camino and at the same time I, I saw really uh, like res- I would say like responsive uh, comments about these um, performance in the other on the other hand there were a lot of comments saying feminazis or mm-hmm. like why are they doing this like or just like a lot of memes about our right to to go out to protest to fight for what we we deserve and it's not that that we shouldn't be fighting for though. So yeah. no, yeah. Some comments I've seen in response to that and back to your question, Leo. It's like what I've heard from from men and women who are typically around like 50, 60 is that like one like what are you protesting for? Like you, you have an education. You can go out. Like oh. you, you're, you're <laughs> a man. Oh. Like, yeah. Like I, I heard, I heard this one guy be like, "Well, my wife has it all. I provide for her, so she's nothing to protest oh. about." So like that. So if if that that view is so ingrained in you, you don't see like the, if this is your one view of life, then like people protesting against it, they feel like it's an attack on them because it's like you're attacking my life. Um, and then another from a woman, a comment I heard was like. Uh, gender discrimination doesn't exist. It's personality discrimination. So if you what? feel like you're being discriminated against, it's because of your personality. And I was like, and it's just the whole idea again that like, there's so much pressure on women to 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 fit this ideal of what a woman is. And then if you don't fit into it, it's not because of your womanhood. It's because of who you are as a fundamental person. But yeah, she was like, 
yeah, it, like discrimination in the workplace doesn't exist for women. It's just probably because you're like chismosa and no, you have to mucho. And I'm like, uh, I was like, are you not you're not realizing like these stereotypes of like no, you have chismosa come from discriminating against women? No, like I don't know. So yeah, I think a big problem is still like especially in like let's say like higher like society women say a lot like oh like we have our rights we have everything but they don't realize that they are still oppressed like they are expected to be housewives like i have a lot of friends back in mexico who like go to university to learn how to be a good housewife <laughs> that's so true and that's that so is what true. is expected of them and also men in higher society they pride themselves on being respectful and like having their wife and having their family but at the same time they will still do their like their jokes that are clearly sexist or expect women to like clean the house or like take care of the kids and it's it's not only about physical violence it's also emotional and it's like how do you treat other women in like in your workplace yeah. or in social environments yeah and that really kind of brings up the question for me because like we have to remember like latin america is a very like in unequal society and those who are on the top those are who are late are white and that brings up the question of white feminism and like how we need to approach these these movements through a more intersectional like lens and like see how like who are the victims of femicidio and who are like there's just different levels that i think these conversations aren't really being no i'm not gonna say that but <laughs> redacted yeah. but i just think like that's something we really need to consider like in this space and then when talking about feminism in latin america yeah and with that i, I would just like to add that there's no a single feminism mm -hmm. there are many varieties that's why people call feminisms rather than feminism mm -hmm. and with what we were saying before is that the idea that so white women have more power than POC women mm -hmm. right so as much as uh, we are all in this fight uh, white rich um, able women need to understand that the rights that they're enjoying or the privilege that they have are not the ones that other people have so I think just important for even between like like women, we need to understand our position of power. And this brings to the intersectionality part that it mainly so intersectionality in um, gender studies and um, feminism means that there's no a single factor of oppression that we have to face. Mm -hmm. uh, and these different factors are, for example, if you are uh, your abilities or your skin color, your race. Um, your economic uh, background, how you look like. So there are just so many like different types of oppression that we that we face that it's not possible to only say, oh yeah, it's just because they are women or just because they are black. It's it's a whole issue that we will fail to deal with the whole problem if we only see it from a single perspective. Mm -hmm. um, to go back on the, this idea of um, fem like what it is to be a feminist, I think it has changed a lot, like the definition of what is a feminist and like the, the feminist like war and protest with the rise of feminicides. Like before, it seems like it was more seen as gender equality and like equality of rights between men and women. And so it was, I guess it was okay to see like men as feminists as well. But what I've noticed a lot, especially in Mexico, 
is that women are not seeing men as being able to be feminists and they're actually called aliados mm. of the feminist um, protest because they will never, like I said, like they, they don't understand what we suffer every day. And that's why men actually, even though they don't, they're not feminists, but they have a place in the war and they have a different role in it, which is between men. Because something coming, a coming coming from a man to another man will not be taken the same way as if it was coming from a woman. So now feminism is more about us trying to survive, us not wanting to die or be scared in the streets anymore. Yeah, that's that's so true. I think that the, the fight of that men should be our allies in this journey. Um, I think that for sure they need to be included in the conversation. But I was reading this article and this part was very, very important and I agree with it. And they were saying that in this journey, we as women, we are the center of the picture. Well, men need to be in the picture because they are part of the problem. But instead of being them the center where like everything is based on them, they should be there because they're our allies. They, they should be, they should support us in this journey because it's it's going to be a pretty long journey, a pretty tough journey to, to get wherever we want to, wherever we want to go with like as a feminist collective. Um, but they need to be there and it's, it's important to address part, address that part. What I do you think been, about... Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, no, I, have, I haven't been able to find the image, but I would just like to... Because it, it touches upon everything that's been said here. As as you all know, it's Carnival. It was Carnival back home um, a week ago. And this image went by the social media where it's this it's this boy holding up a poster that says... Uh, and he he's shirtless. And he says... It says something like, Oh, I am. I feel comfortable in being shirtless outside. And I think women should be... Com- like, I... I Something like I defend the, the the right of women to also feel comfortable wearing whatever they want outside, and it's interesting to see there was actually a backlash on that because mm, from who? Um, so in, in in Brazil there's this uh, people call it esquerdo macho, which is like in translation is like a, a lefty macho, and it's this idea that men will will and, and and that that was the whole discussion that men will pretend to be feminists or will, will say these kind of, of, of empowerment um, like uh, phrases in order to attract women. And the fact that this... Might, and, then, and then there was this whole discussion because this, this boy was, was doing that in Carnival and then, and then there was a, it was actually posted by a very famous um, Brazilian kind of e-magazine uh, that in, in general uh, supports minorities and is a, is a kind of a lefty e-magazine. And there was this whole discussion. Is he being a skeptical macho and in, in, in like and doing it for for the kisses in Carnival, or is it a is a or is it a protest? So that's why I think it's interesting we're talking about the what's it called like allegiances or um, the aliados. Yeah. It's I mean there's the aliados, but then there's also the skeptical machos, and, and and I wonder if there's well, also this phenomenon in other countries. I think definitely here it's like the embodiment of embodiment of the nice guy. You know the who it's like. Here it's kind of the nice guy who says, "Nice guys always finish last," and they think that they're deserving because they're nice. But in real, in reality, <laughs> they're not nice. They're not nice to girls, and and it kind of gets back to the idea. It's like, oh, I'm always in the friend zone, blah blah blah, and it kind of perpetuates the idea that if you don't have a woman for a sexual reason or a romantic reason, then she's worthless to you. Like she's not worth your time. So I feel like that's kind of like the the whole idea that you mentioned there, but. I think based off one picture, we can't really judge 
the guy's intentions or what he's trying to do but i was just really sad yeah. to see the backlash because yeah there's a lot of people canceling him saying that he's Can- oh yeah he was canceled he was, <laughs> he was canceled a lot um and and I, th- I think it's sad it's sad because um it, it is an empowering move i think it's important for these things to be out in the streets but then again it's it's like the creation of these kehlomashu kind of type in, makes it so that any makes it open so that any man that is promoting like gender equality seems like an iskato mashu that's that, that's why i think it's it's terrible and devastating and it, it destroys cause and there's actually another stereotype about like people that support the feminist collective is that or they are gay or another type of like minority yeah and it's like one thing like doesn't necessarily have has to be related to the other one and with what you were saying Anna it just reminded me of the um, uh, culture of consent mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if you have noticed but around you see there are all these uh, posters about if you if you're going out on a date or like if you want to kiss your partner do you have consent it's something like that yeah, it's yeah. just like along the line that um, whatever you want to do with your partner or your potential partner just like you have to make sure that there is consent on that and over winter ray i was telling about these to to my friends and um it was just interesting to to hear them saying that uh, it's actually not that bad like they were maybe kind of like they didn't understand why was this um huge uh, campaign about consent culture like kind of like if we don't need to be asked that many times or about like those tiny things like if you want to hold your partner's hand Oh. Or if you are in public and can you like I don't know fix someone's clothes like that kind of stuff. So they were saying that's like like a, an extreme of this like of what's going on. So what do you think about that? I Is think, there like a yeah? That's yeah. very interesting because um, I remember first when we were uh, talking about consent, like coming here to UFT, and they were saying like oh you have to ask before you hug somebody, and I thought like what like in Latin America like you see <laughs> somebody you like yeah. you greet them with a kiss and like that's normal and for me. It seemed like saying that kind of thing, it was kind of like almost against my culture, like where I came from. But at the same time, there needs to be more um, education about consent in Latin America because I've seen it like with even my closest friends back in Mexico, is they believe that because a girl says yes eventually after hours of pressure that it's okay, that they actually had the right to do that, but they don't realize that they're actually pressuring women into doing things and they're sexualizing women. And we're not seen as people or friends anymore, we're seen as sexual symbols. And again, it's to fulfill the needs of the machos who have to be charming and be able to uh, get all these partners, but women can't. And we are not allowed to talk about sexuality or explore our own sexuality. I wonder how this education can be done in Latin America specifically because as, as Raquel mentioned, the Envilador in Su Camino was, I, I thought was an amazing, an amazing uh, um, movement because it became a movement, not only that, because you had it, okay, I'll, I'll explain, right, because we haven't explained it yet. It's a, it's, it was a feminist flash mob, can we call it that, in Chile? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was reading by, written by this art collective called La Tesis. Um, and it was late last year, 2019, um, where women were protesting in the International Day of Violence Against Women, uh, November 25th, if I'm not mistaken. 
and they were singing the song, right? The, 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 the translates to a rapist in your path. As we also talked, there was a lot of backlash in relation to, in relation to the song. And I'm just wondering exactly how this education that Dene, you're talking about can be can can be executed in a place like Latin, Latin America, where so many initiatives and just like this beautiful one by Lest, by Lestes is, is was basically clamped down in many ways. I think education like it starts at home with your children and something that I think like I, I was reading about this the other day from a Latin American feminist and she was like stop telling your daughters that they have to kiss and hug everyone because yeah. from when you're at a little age like it's rude it's rude like in Latin American to not go up to someone and give them a hug and kiss them when you meet them when you see them for the first time but and like even myself I like as you were saying I was like ah no like my mom always made me and like I'm like eh, whatever but then I was reading more about the article and it's like when you tell little kids like a, little, a girl or a boy that like you have to allow someone to like embrace you or kiss you or else you're rude like that can get internalized so I feel like it's like allowing little girls to like not hug that stranger that they don't really know or like not to embrace physical contact with like an older uncle that they don't really know like it it's those little things like once you teach children about physical boundaries about their body that they can say no you know like you can still keep the culture alive and I'm sure like it's not going to go away but little things like that I think are really important because like the idea of consent starts from when you're a kid you tell kids don't hit each other but it's also like if somebody doesn't want to play with you if someone doesn't want to hug, hug you it's okay and you can also say no that's mm -hmm. I think is like the basis yeah I think that at home is the, the first step and I know it's going to be hard because even even for me um, for example when I was growing up I have two older brothers and um, every time that I wanted to they wanted to go out my parents asked them less questions than me yeah <laughs> and if I wanted to go out it was more like oh who's going to be there who's going to bring like take you there to this place or who's going to bring you home like that, those kind of questions that I know that they were trying to protect me but at the same time, they were just making it more difficult for me to go out. And it kind of like brought this idea to me that I have like I have to be aware 24 seven or where, where I was, uh, the people that I was surrounded with. I know it's hard because it's like your parents at so, until some point they're trying to protect you. And it's going to be very difficult to break those ideas that some parents and families have about how they should treat their, their kids. Another example is, so for example, at family dinner is usually women the ones that are cooking and the ones that are cleaning and the ones that are setting up the table. While men are just sitting or talking or smoking a cigar, whatever they want to do. But how how can you break this idea of like telling your, your abuela um, that you know what, I don't want to do this. Like men should also come to the, to the kitchen and do this. Um, Lucky for me, well, my family was not like that, and I, I really like that. But there, I know so many families where like women are always the ones that are cooking, that are cleaning, that are doing all the house chores while men are playing. So we need to to start at home, as you as you're saying, uh, and then work within the institutions, it be it like high schools, but also the political institutions, because. As part of this song, uh, a rapist, a rapist uh, on your way, with, what in is your it? Path. In your path. path yeah. um, they were also saying um, to, to the state, to the Chilean state, like the rapist is you. So the institutions are also another uh, thing that we need to to change how they how they work. 
Yeah, and I think uh, especially now us, the young women, are the ones who should really be leading this because, well, first of all, we're the ones suffering the most, but also in a social context, you know, this idea of what you permit, you promote. We have to start speaking up and saying, "Hey, like that comment was not okay." Or like, for example, I know like a lot of my uh, dad's friends and even sometimes my dad will make these kind of jokes where like, "Oh, like where's the food?" and they'll like ask the woman and be like, "Hey, like oh, give me a kiss" or things like that. That they seem like it's normal, but for us now being younger, we're like, "No, hey, you can't say that." And I'll point it out a lot of times to my dad, but also like between friends and like in social context. I don't know if you um, saw, but that um, song from the movement, um, Every Place in Your Path, um, was turned into a song, like a song that they play in bars, mm-hmm. like a oh. mainstream song. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, no, you cannot do that because you are normalizing the anger of women. You are normalizing this movement that was that meant so much for us and now you're making it into something a, a song that you listen to in the street that just doesn't mean anything else and so we really have to have a conversation with people and it's us the young woman who should really be stepping up and, and with that i think that the conversation part is important because as much as we can have policies or other type of programs at the end is those small things that we can do, like a chat with your friends, uh, when we can imp- where, where we can empower our friends and we can support them, we can make them kind of like realize that they are, they are worthy and that we have the power, we have the power to change things, we have the power to enjoy their, like we, we have to make our rights, we, we have to fight for our rights and as I said before, we need to continue in this journey that it's going to be long but we need to know that we have a, a system that supports us and if not it will be just us yeah. and also i think sometimes we forget about this but part of the feminist uh, movement is women empowering women so like we really have to keep in mind of to to stick together and be there for others instead of this like whole like competition between women it should be like no we're we're in this together and we want to fight together and we shouldn't forget that, that it's also about us coming together. Yeah, I think that's a really important statement because sometimes girls are told like, oh, if you like, they're kind of like how in Latin America, like this image of a, of a feminist is unattractive. And it's like, if you speak your mind, if you do all these things, it's unattractive. So it's better to just like fit the model. So girls internalize that and they'll be like, oh, couldn't be me. Like, I don't mind, like whatever. And then mm-hmm. there's a lot of competition there. Um, but I think what you said, it's super important to have and, and to be there for your friends and have these conversations with your, your male friends to like call them out on their bullshit. <laughs> and if they're actually your friend, they'll be receptive. And if not, that's not a friend you want to have. Um, and even like, you know, even someone you're dating, like if you notice these red flags, like you can have that conversation with them. You can call them out and be like, you are treating me this way. And if, if they leave you because of that, then that's again, not somebody you want in your life. Um, so I just think it's like, don't don't be fearful to have these conversations and don't, you know, be scared to like call someone out because you don't have to be mean about it. You don't have to be rude. You don't have to be like, you're a misogynist, machista <laughs> piece of shit. Like you can just sit them down and be like, hey, listen, like the way you're treating me makes me feel this way. And you're kind of perpetuating these ideas. Like 
most times, like, the guy or the woman whoever is not going to be like, oh, like, I was doing this on purpose. Like, they don't know sometimes that they're perpetuating these things. So it's just, like, have the tough conversations and don't be afraid. That's an important part. I, 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 I'll just add this minor suggestion is just explain things. Explain mm-hmm. the basic terms because I've had so many discussions with, with men mostly. I've, I've had it with women too, <laughs> which is weird. Um, where they, they'll go like, oh, these feminists, I, I hate them, like they're destroying the movement and stuff. And then I would, I would come up with all of these highly complex arguments talking about the statistics and the sociology behind it. And, and then in the end, I would, and they, the person would go like, oh yeah, because I hate these people saying that like women should be better than men. It's like, oh. I forgot to explain what feminism actually is. So it's like sometimes you, I'll have to, all these really complex discussions and forget to talk about the basics. It's like, what exactly is feminism? What exactly is gender? What is exactly these these very basic terms that sometimes pass by people's minds and and are and generate these bad preconceptions, right? Yeah. Well, with that, I would say that the problem might be that there is no a single answer. So I think that's what one of the reasons why there's so much confusion about what is feminism, or intersectionality, or all these um, terms, is that your your answer might be different than mine. And the fact that if you Google like what is uh, feminism, you're going to have like the Google answer, but there's more than that. So also just like be careful, but also like every time I think it's important that every time that you're giving uh, your definition, it's important to make that clear that it's yours. and try to base your definition on like like actual like uh, reliable information uh, for, for you girls that well Anna you were uh, you you were you were raised here but how was it different for you to be like a feminist back home than here or like how was that experience for you to how did you leave your feminist uh, identity here or how are you leaving your feminist identity? <laughs> Big hard question. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, what is my feminist identity? Um. Okay. Well, I don't know if you guys ever were on Tumblr at the ripe age of twelve. I don't know if you guys were like me. Um. So, my entry into the world of feminism was actually through Tumblr, and you can kind of figure that out. Um. And so I, I was very like the classic like. Men suck. I hate all men. The patriarchy, like, boo. Um, <laughs> but whatever. And then I, for me, it's always been like, I think it's, it's, yes, I am a feminist. And it's kind of evolved from that, like, early days of, like, internet, Tumblr years. Um, and especially, it's, it's still evolving. I'm still learning. Like, I grew up, like, half my childhood was in a very white town. Half of it was in a very immigrant city. So the white town like made me into like a very white feminist and I didn't realize it until I came to university and I was like oh wait this is wrong but I guess like comparing it to like my experiences in Latin America um I guess you could say like when I go to Latin America like sometimes like I I still have friends and I still have my cousins there like the way I'll see an uh, gendered issue is completely different than my family my friends everyone there um, and I like, for example, my grandmother doesn't let me leave the house to walk the dog alone. Like, I'm not allowed to leave the house alone, period. And that was also, that was always like ridiculous for me. I was like, I can leave the house. Like, I'm a woman. I can do whatever a man can do. Like, that's what I, that was my mindset. And I didn't realize like, like the actual real dangers of being a woman in Latin America till I 
was there and I was experiencing it. And I think the other difference has been like, I've had relationships with like white Canadian men and then like Latinos. And they're completely different experiences in the way that like these two like different men perceive me, our relationship, like the interactions. So, yeah. Yeah, I think for me it was, um, well, like since I have part of my family that is French and my mom is, is um, big on education. Um, I grew up in Mexico, but she always uh, prided like me being educated and like getting good grades and and just like being kind of like at the same level as men kind of in society, she would make it seem. So for me, that was my way of being a feminist. It was like, oh, I'm just as good as men and I'm just as capable of doing anything they want. And I would be in the sports team with, with them and things like that. But I guess recently it has changed my perception of feminism, especially with everything going in Latin America, because same, like when I was a kid, my brother could do whatever he wanted. But then when I wanted to go out, I was like, oh, somebody has to be your chaperone. Like, you can't do this. And for me, it was like, that's unfair. Like, that's sexist. Why does he get to go out? And I don't. But now I understand it's because of the danger of being a woman that they weren't trying to like put boundaries because I was a woman. And they were trying to protect me because I was a woman. And now, especially like talking to my friends recently from Mexico and with everything that's going on, I've seen more feminism as saying, hey, like, this is my body. You guys don't get to say, like, to say or a right on it. And we are fighting to live, to not be scared. And it's not even about rights, it's just living and living a life without fear. That's so true. How about you, Rico? Mm, for me, I think it was. Um... Like when I realized that I was a feminist, I think it was, uh, I don't know, I think maybe, I, I, I mean, I'm not completely sure, but I will say that I started being a feminist because of the inequalities that I had to face. So my own experiences um, made me a feminist and it's hard, like it's hard to be a feminist, it's hard to be a feminist in a Latino society. Uh, where even my friends, my, my, my girlfriends, even my uh, my relatives that are women, they're like, sometimes they don't agree with what I'm doing, with my beliefs, with my opinions, but besides that, I'm still like trying to to fight for, for what we deserve. And not only deserve, because it's not that something that we should be fighting for, but something that we, that should be part of us. And the fact that I grew up listening to stories of um, physical, sexual, psychological violence against uh, women also shaped me and made me realize that it's not just one case or two, it's, there are millions of cases. Um, there are hundreds of, of women in Latin America that every day they suffer violence, um, but their partners, their families. Um, so we need to start breaking all these cycles uh, of oppression, of violence against us and um, yeah i would i would talk for hours here and i think this <laughs> definitely deserve and deserves another podcast we can definitely work on it but i'm gonna have to close it because it's gonna be long hours of editing for this, for this boy um i'd like to thank everyone for coming it was an amazing discussion um i would like to start this new thing in the podcast maybe ending the podcast with a song 
Um, and I think it just it'd be great just to start this uh, this end this podcast actually um, with un violador en tu camino. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see everyone next week. Bye. See ya. Bye. Bye. Castigo es la violencia.